Before we get into this episode, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoy listening to this show, please take a second to leave a review. It will help boost the show so that others struggling in a toxic workplace can find it. You can also go to my website, ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com, to send me a message, or if you have a story to share, send a submission request. Your story will be completely anonymous, and it will help thousands of listeners manage their own toxic work experience. I work on a freelance basis. Always thought that I would end up working for a corporation, but living in the Netherlands, uh, because of my visa, I'm only able to take freelance work which has definitely been a big curveball, but it's also been a really beautiful experience for me. This is Sarah. Sarah's originally from Texas, but has been living in the Netherlands for the past five years. Since she's not a citizen of the Netherlands, their labor laws require her to work on a contract basis as opposed to being a full-time employee for one single employer which means she needs multiple contracts with different organizations in order to maintain a full-time work schedule. When I was looking for this job, I already had a contract for 10 hours a week with a kombucha company. I really love that work, but for me, I really wanted to do something else because it's only 10 hours a week. And so I saw this job posting. It was for a PR and advertising agency and it was female-owned and led. They called themselves an impact boutique consultancy, which I thought was very cool and right up my alley, so I decided to apply for it. This organization was very appealing to Sarah. Their public image was impeccable. They stood for the things that Sarah was passionate about, and they seemed to be vested in the betterment of society. But looks can be deceiving. What the public sees on the outside doesn't always match what's happening on the inside, as Sarah would soon find out firsthand. My name's Carly, and this is Toxic Workplace, a podcast that gives a platform to those who have survived highly toxic work experiences, only to come out with newfound wisdom and a renewed sense of self. A toxic workplace is more than just the daily grind. It's a soul-crushing experience that will chip away at your sanity until you're about to lose your mind. It's an abusive relationship that's hard to leave. And the longer you stay, the more you lose sight of who you set out to be. A couple weeks later, I got invited to an interview with the operations manager, and his name is Marco. It was actually a really great call. He was incredibly warm, and he let me know that the entire organization was all women except for him, and that the working culture was really supportive. Uh, It's just a bunch of women that are working together and kind of pioneering the space that they were in. So for me, this is right up my alley. This is exactly what I was looking for, and I told him that this is something that was very exciting to me. And I should mention that he did let me know that he is the husband of the executive director who also owns the company. After that call, he sent me an email saying that they wanted to do a second round of interviews. The second interview would be with Emily, who is the executive director. Um, And during the first round of interviews, I asked him what they had budgeted for the role uh, for the hourly rate. 
And he said he wasn't sure. So in this follow-up email, he let me know that they were going to do um, an hourly rate of 45 euros an hour. And so unfortunately, after I had my first interview, my grandpa passed away. So I, I flew back to Texas unexpectedly. And I had already scheduled the second interview with Emily. And it was, I think, at like 4 a.m. Texas time. But I decided to keep it because uh, it was something that I was really excited about. And also it just kind of took my mind off of things a bit. So I ended up doing this second interview with her. And yeah, in my initial call, I did not feel as like warm or connected as I did with Marco. Uh, it was a bit cold. She told me that actually I would not be working for her PR and advertising firm. I would actually be working for her NGO that she had started a year or two back. She was currently the owner and executive director of both. And she wanted me to do about 10% of work for the PR agency and about 90% of my work with the nonprofit that she was working with. She let me know that the nonprofit is the intersection of climate change and advertising, and they're trying to just start conversations around how much impact uh, the advertising agencies have on climate change. Uh, and I actually studied international relations. And so for me, it was actually incredibly exciting to have the opportunity to work with an NGO. So I was actually very okay with this and also excited by this. And during that call, I also let her know that Marco had let me know that the rate would be 45 an hour and that I would be okay with that. And uh, and she said, oh, absolutely not. Uh, 30 an hour was as much as they were willing to give. And she kind of already started the rhetoric of like, this is an NGO. This is something you're passionate about. You should also be totally okay with taking a bit of a cut to do this type of work. And I didn't push back and I just said, okay, let's do it. And in three months, let's reevaluate. By the time Emily told Sarah she would be paid a lesser amount than she was initially told, Sarah was already sold on this position. It's hard to take a step back and look at the full scope of a situation when you're emotionally invested in something. And this organization's mission really called to Sarah. But looking at this from an outside perspective, I see a few red flags right away. First, Emily is taking advantage of Sarah's eagerness to be part of her organization. At this point, Emily is well aware how passionate Sarah was about the mission and how excited she was to dive in. Emily painted this position to be a huge leap forward in Sarah's career, which was more enticing than a monetary gain. Secondly, how could Marco, Emily's husband and right-hand man, be so far off with the pay amount? Why would he tell Sarah a dollar amount if it wasn't already agreed upon with Emily? If they're as professional as they portray themselves to be, how could you get this part of the interview wrong? Salary is one of the first things discussed when deciding to hire a new person. I'm guessing that they did discuss an hourly amount, but once Emily saw how excited Sarah was to be part of their team, she changed the amount, knowing Sarah would still sign on. Emily had asked me to do a video call with her after my interview, and she just didn't show up. 
she didn't send an email or text or anything saying why. Uh, and so later that day, I just emailed her saying I was confused and I wasn't sure kind of what her trajectory for me was. And I'm not sure if you still want me to join the team. And she called me on my cell phone 10 minutes after I sent the email. And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you know, things got busy, whatever. Can you start in a couple days? And again, I'm super excited. This is like my first nonprofit job in Amsterdam. So I was like, whatever, let's do it. Okay, so now my my first official day was with some clients and we were doing a co-creation session and it was uh, at this beautiful hotel in Amsterdam that I adore. And so it was just a really exciting day. And Emily asked me to show up an hour early so that her and I could meet in person for the very first time. And we could kind of just discuss what the day was going to be like. So I showed up an hour early and kind of just waited around and she wasn't there yet. So I just started prepping the room. And 10 minutes before the session started, she shows up. I think time is one of the biggest signs of respect. So for me, this was the second time that I had felt just disrespected. And so she shows up and I walk up to her. I'm like, hi. And she introduces herself and because she thinks I'm one of the participants. Uh, mind you, we've had like three, four or five video calls by this point. And I was like, no, like I'm working for you. Uh, this is my first day. And she was just like, oh, gosh, like, sorry, I totally, yeah, my mind blanked, like, sorry. And she was like, okay, she was like, I really need to prep for this because this starts in 10 minutes. But can you, like, go get me a coffee? And she's like, I swear this won't be all the things I ask you to do. But, like, today, this is what I need you to do. But for me, I'm like, whatever. I can be negotiating a contract or getting coffee. Like, it does not make that big of a difference. So I went and got her coffee. And I think my excitement was leading all of my decision-making and thinking. The actual session that day was really incredible to just see all of the things that people were talking about and all of the different types of people that were in one room. Like that was so exciting for me. So I, again, just kind of brushed it off and thought it was like, you know what? She's just having a tough week. I can't agree more with Sarah's comment about respecting others' time as the ultimate sign of respect. It's a simple common courtesy, but when ignored, it makes a huge impact. Emily had already disrespected Sarah's time, and Sarah wasn't even through her first full day. It's also clear that Emily is so preoccupied with whatever else she has going on that she didn't even recognize Sarah. Emily is making a horrible first impression, but doesn't seem to be bothered. So much so that she troubles Sarah for some coffee in their first initial exchange. After that day, I start my normal work week. And on my first day, I think I already had like 50 plus emails. I was just basically being CC'd on every single email that Emily had sent. And Anytime Emily would send an email to anyone in the company, almost everyone was CC'd. So you would be receiving like 20 to 30 emails a day just from Emily on things that had absolutely nothing to do with your role or information. But of course, you read the email because you don't want to miss out. There was such a big turnover rate. Every month, there was two to three new people starting. So I think it was also just a way of filling the gaps of like, hey, I don't really know if you got this. So like if you include a bunch of people on an email, someone is inevitably going to pick it up. But 
again, all of us are freelance workers. All of us have a maximum of 15 hours per week. So if you're spending three to four hours a week just reading emails that don't pertain to you, like you're cutting into really precious time that you need to be completing the task. Yeah. So in my first week, uh, I had a coworker call me and she warned me at the end of the call, like, you really have to have very strong boundaries with this role, especially with Emily, if you want to keep working here. And for me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is my first week. I don't really know what to say, but I didn't take it too much to heart because I was like, I'm going to get to know Emily myself and kind of form my own opinion of her. And so throughout the first two weeks or so, I started to realize that a lot of small tasks were falling on me. So I would get 15 to 20 emails a day of like, hey, email this person, call this person, book this, I need you to do this. Um, And none of this was actually a part of my role. So again, I only have 15 hours a week to be taking care of all the things that I needed to be taken care of. And now I was getting about 15 to 20 requests a day. And it was something that from very early on, I expressed in one of my one-on-one calls with Emily, I was just like, hey, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm not really sure like what you want me to prioritize because there's just so much work coming in and I'm new. So I don't know what's a priority to you and what can kind of fall back. I felt like a lot of the days I was burning through my hours, but then at the end of the day, I'm like, what have I actually accomplished today? Sarah's concern about the number of meaningless tasks and emails piling up in her inbox was brushed off by Emily. Emily would either change the subject or make an excuse as to why it was necessary in the moment. Sarah says it was frustrating because the issue never seemed to be addressed or resolved, which only escalated the problem. She felt like her time was being wasted on things that made little to no impact. She wasn't able to move forward and focus on the things that mattered and produce real results within this organization. So we had a co-working space in Amsterdam and we had two desks there. And so we were hosting this summit and it was the first in-person event that we had done since all of the regulations of COVID had lifted. We were given the capacity of 100 people at this venue. And that day I was informed by Emily that we had already sold 190 tickets. And so I was immediately like, okay, shit. Uh, what does that mean? Like, what do I need to do? Uh, And she was basically like, you and Marco need to figure it out. Like I have stuff to do. I need to prepare because we had a ton of guest speakers coming. And so she was kind of running all of those operations that day. And by this point, I had already established uh, quite a decent relationship with the manager of the co-working space. Uh, She was incredible. And so I immediately just went downstairs and I was like, look, I'm not even gonna try to lie or anything like this is the situation how would you like me to handle it because i'm sure they also have legal obligations of how many people they're allowed to have in the building and so they were like okay emily's been here for a year or two like we know how things go because i kept apologizing and apologizing and they were like look we already know like we know it's not you we already know that this is directly coming from emily so They let me into like the downstairs storage room and gave me access to an additional 50 chairs because also Emily tricked her way into getting the whole event space for free when normally I think they charge like two grand a night to use the space. We weren't paying them. 
so any workers that they used, they were paying out of their pocket. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'll spend the next couple hours like carrying these chairs upstairs and setting it up. And so that's what Marco and I did. We just like spent a couple hours trying to fit as many chairs as possible in the room. And I think we counted like 180 and the rest was just going to be standing. And they specifically asked me not to move any of the chairs that were upstairs because they were expensive. And so I didn't. Uh, And then later, like an hour later, I ran into Emily and she pointed to the expensive chairs and she was like, hey, I need you to move all those downstairs like right now. And I told her that they asked us not to move those because, yeah, they're expensive and they don't want them moved. Uh, And she walks over there and picks them up and starts putting them in the elevator. I don't know if it's like the way I was raised or what, but no matter who you're interacting with, you should just always respect the rules. Of course, I'm like always down to bend the rules a bit. But if someone specifically says, please don't do this after already like letting you kind of get away with some things that you shouldn't be getting away with, you should respect the rules. Every time I saw Emily interacting with people throughout our in my entire time working there, it was always this, like not bending the rules because they're bendable, but it was like specifically going out of her way to get what she wanted. I remember once having a conversation with her that was just like, you don't get where you are in business without taking risk. And that was kind of her whole thing. And to me, totally, I agree. But there's a very big difference in taking risk and just being disrespectful. And also sometimes just really taking advantage of people. There were a lot of times where it's just like squeezing people dry, like ask them to put this on the contract, ask them to put this. And all the while the relationships with these people were being neglected. So it was like, let's get everything we can, but like I don't have the money to spend time on you to nurture these relationships. Emily pushes whatever boundaries she can get away with. In this case, she's deliberately breaking the rules and taking advantage of the organization that was nice enough to let her use their space for free. She also puts Sarah in a difficult position. Emily won't have to face these people when they find out that she did what they asked Sarah not to do. It's going to be Sarah who has to face them. Every Monday we would have our team calls. And usually during our team calls, it was kind of just Emily chatting. Uh, But also one of the things that would happen is almost every week she would criticize someone else's work. She would say, hey, uh, I asked you to do this. Can you go ahead and screen share and just show all of us what you have done? Um, And when someone would share their screen, she would multiple times be like, this is completely useless. Like, I don't understand what you were thinking when you created this document. Like we can, we absolutely cannot use this. All the while, if you look at our social media accounts, our LinkedIn, our website, so often we post about mental health. We talk about empowering women. We talk about empowering marginalized voices. So like our social media just tells this story that we are like, these kick-ass women who are pioneers in our space and we're all just empowering each other and we talk about mental health relating to climate change or work or self-doubt or whatever. And then behind the scenes, all of this stuff is happening. So for me, it was just like such a juxtaposition where I was like, what is going on? One day we were in the office We were doing this brainstorming session and uh, I was taking notes on my laptop and she asked me to stop taking notes and to participate in the brainstorming session. So I did. After about an hour, she was like, "Okay, Sarah, like I need you to put this whole plan into a document. Uh, I have to jump on a call. So I just started putting everything together based on the things we talked about. I created 
titles that, of course, can be edited. I created the task associated with the things that we had talked about. And after about 30 minutes, she asked me to present what I had, and I did. And after she read through everything, she was like, did you not pay attention at all to like what we were discussing? Like literally nothing that we discussed is in this document. Like, I don't understand what you've been doing for the last 30 minutes. I almost stood up out of my chair and was just like, are you fucking serious? I didn't. I just stayed quiet. And I just said, like, I did the best I could with the information that is on the the whiteboard and off the discussion that we had. And so she just like took my laptop and started editing everything. And so I just sat there and watched her. And I feel like there was so many situations like that with multiple people on our team where it was just kind of like, you don't know what you're doing. Give me your laptop. Let me do it. There was no trust. Publicly embarrassing someone is a tactic used to assert dominance and power. Emily wants to feel superior at the expense of her team's self-esteem. Being torn down in front of others is especially humiliating at work because most people tie their self-worth into the work that they produce. Sarah points out that this is especially ironic since the organization portrays its mission as women empowering women. But what's happening here is the complete opposite. Any company can come up with a powerful mission statement, but matching words with actions is the ultimate differentiator. It honestly really affected the way also that I see LinkedIn, because I think so often like we can check LinkedIn and be like, man, these people are doing such cool things. And that's also how I felt about Emily when I looked at her LinkedIn uh, before I had my interview with her. I was just like, damn, she is doing it like this is incredible. I'm so inspired. And then being in the middle of it, it's like it's just not true for me. I think that was difficult to reconcile with because. I don't want to have this like negative view on especially women who are doing these incredible things. So for me, I was definitely having that internal struggle of like, what is real? What isn't? Uh, Do I ever want to work in nonprofit again? Definitely those types of conversations. And it made me feel very pessimistic about a lot of things. Uh, And all of a sudden, I just felt pessimistic of like, nope. I do not ever want to work for a nonprofit. I don't know if I ever want female leadership again. Um, And those are all like horrible things because they're so like integral to the things that I think make my life important. So much of my experience, whether it was direct or indirect, she always reminded me of how inexperienced I was, how lucky I was to be given this opportunity, how many influential people that she was introducing me to. I just have so many emails and texts that's just like, you don't know how lucky you are to like be in this opportunity. And especially, especially with women, she would always, always make them feel less than always. And there's one exception that she wouldn't, and I couldn't figure it out. And then one day I was like, oh my gosh, I used to think it was just everyone younger than her. Pretty much everyone on our team was younger than her. And the only exception was for women that before they had worked here, they had worked at a big company like Deloitte uh, or PwC or something like that. That was like the only ticket to having respect from her. And if you hadn't worked for a big corporation, then like you're inexperienced, you don't know what you're doing. And it was that rhetoric constantly. Toxic people in power will gaslight you by telling you how great you have it, how lucky you are to be in your position, 
how hard it would be to find a similar opportunity, and how much they've done for you by allowing you the privilege to work with them. This is another tactic to kill your self-esteem, devalue you, and assert their dominance. This is exactly what Emily is doing to Sarah. Instead of addressing the hard-hitting issues of the toxic work culture Emily is leading, she focuses on how much she's done for Sarah by hiring her on her team. She's detracting from the problems she's created, which allows her to not be held accountable. Control was a huge problem throughout my entire time. Like In the beginning, it started out with, hey, you're new here. I need you to CC me on every single email you send. I thought that was a bit weird. I've never worked somewhere as a freelancer where they've asked that, but I was like, you know what? Totally. Uh, and after two, three, four months, she would get really upset if she found out I sent an email and didn't CC her. So everything that I did had to go through her. Uh, like one time I sent an email that she was CC'd on with a client who I had been nurturing that relationship for a bit. Uh, and she called me and she was like, you cannot send emails like that. Like there are way too many exclamation points. It makes you look incredibly junior. And like, that is not the vibe that we are giving off. Towards the end of working there, all my emails were incredibly dry, short, cold. It's so not who I am. But yeah, the last two or three months, it was just very like, hey, I need this. That's it. I have a very hard time with boundaries. Um, it's something that I have worked on in therapy. I've been in therapy for a couple years now, and it's really revolutionized the way that I think and feel about yeah, myself and just everything in general. Um, and I remembered my conversation that I had with one of my coworkers my first week. And so I decided to uh, draw my first boundary and in my career with Emily. And so basically she was emailing me, sending me messages on Slack, texting me via iMessage, texting me via WhatsApp, all simultaneously throughout the day and night. So I just had information everywhere. And sometimes she would be like, hey, I need you to recall this. And there was like six platforms that I had to go check of where she would send me information. Um, and also she would be texting me at night. When you're online on WhatsApp, it shows when the person is online. And so if I would be online, like texting my partner or my family, she would see that I was online and be like, hey, why aren't you responding? Like, this is urgent. You need to respond now. And I, I said to her, I'm like, please do not text me anymore unless it's urgent. I check my Slack messages every couple hours. It's the quickest way to reach me if you don't feel like sending an email. Um, but this is a boundary that I really need for us to have going forward. Um, and she responded to me by saying I need to learn to be more flexible. Um, and she sent me another text saying that it was incredibly tiring, um, that her and I couldn't find a flow together and that she's had a fair share of young people telling her how to do her work. I really, in that moment, internalized it again and was like, God, is this unreasonable? Is it actually okay for her to be texting me at midnight? Like maybe, I don't know. That was when I really first started talking back, I guess, for a lack of better words. Um, but I, I set a boundary and obviously she did not like it. Toxic people hate boundaries. They want to be able to do what they want, when they want. When Sarah put up her first boundary, she was immediately met with gaslighting from Emily. 
which made her question whether or not she should have said anything at all. Clarifying her work hours was necessary, and it was a simple boundary. The resistance from Emily is a red flag that she truly doesn't respect Sarah's needs. My aunt was coming into town to visit me, um, and I had let my work know that a month ahead of time that I would take the week off. And during that time that she was here, I planned a trip to Belgium for two days to visit my other office of the other freelance uh, gig that I'm doing. And she came with me because she was like, yeah, I'll just totally roam around the town. And we had a hotel and all of that. We were just hanging out. Uh, well, I was working during the day. And I ended up getting a couple emails and texts from Emily saying that things were urgent pertaining to funding documents that we needed to submit. So after my workday, I basically spent the rest of the evening to like 2 a.m. in the hotel lobby, filling out all of this documentation, all of this paperwork, responding to all of my emails. And on the drive home, Emily had called me and she was telling me that she feels like all week she's been having to chase me and it should be the other way around because her schedule is way busier than mine and I should be the one that's chasing her. And she kept saying like, you know, where have you been this whole week? Why am I chasing you? And again, that was kind of like the rhetoric the whole time was, I'm more important. My schedule is busier. You should be conforming around my schedule, which sometimes when you're in a full-time job, like you do definitely adjust your schedule if your boss is a bit busier than you. But again, I'm 15 hours a week and I was supposed to be taking this week off entirely. And so out of curiosity today, I just like looked back at my toggle log to check the hours that I worked that week. And it was 19 hours. And that was the week that I was supposed to take completely off. (laughs) This is another example of workplace gaslighting. Sarah was clear about her time off from work, yet Emily blatantly ignored this fact and acted like Sarah was causing issues by not being available. Emily didn't even acknowledge the fact that Sarah did put in hours while on vacation and took it a step further by saying she was hard to track down. It's almost like Emily is living in an alternate universe. How does she not understand the situation? This is why gaslighting is so tricky. The toxic person is well aware of the truth, yet they say and do things that are so far stretched from the truth that you question if you are the one misinterpreting something. This is exactly what was going on in Sarah's head. She thought maybe Emily was right and that she was missing something. So one day she invited me to lunch Um, And I haven't introduced this person yet, but uh, her name is Rosemary, and she is one of the directors. And so that day, Emily invited myself and her to lunch. And at lunch, Emily was basically talking about the finances of the company. And I already knew at this point that within two months, our bank account would be at zero. Also, we had no like current streams of revenue, and we also hadn't submitted any other grant applications Um, And so Rosemary asked Emily what she planned to do when the money ran out. uh, And Emily was like, you know, it's whatever. I have a plan. Like, I'm going to figure it out. And Rosemary pushed back and she was like, no, seriously, what are we going to do when we're completely out of money? Like, what is the plan? And I'm like, okay, I should not be here for this uh, conversation. Uh, So I'm trying to like blend into the chair. And Emily was like, basically what I'm going to do is I am not going to pay anyone for two months. Once we hit zero, I'm just not going to pay anyone for two months. 
And hopefully we get that second round of grant money, which was still very unclear if it would actually happen. Like we weren't even in the process yet of evaluating the end of the first year. And if we did get that money, it would be five months from that day that we were speaking. I was in like total shock and she said it like so casually, also didn't say that she had any plans on talking to anyone, talking to the team and just being like, look, these are the circumstances. Like if you want to jump ship now, like go for it. I understand. There was none of that. Like, I don't know if it was going to be a secret or not, but like there was no communication in the organization. So I think it was just going to be one of those things where it's like, sorry, it's just your invoice is late. And now I have this information also, which I'm like, feel like, really shitty about having information because I also don't want to go tell everyone because it's really not my place to tell anyone. But also at the same time, like you don't want anyone to be in that position where maybe they are financially dependent on this, this money. Again, Emily is showing that she doesn't care about the well-being of others and she's living in her own self-serving reality. She shows no concern for a serious issue that could have a devastating impact on the livelihood of those who work for her. It's as though she knows she can manipulate her way out of any situation by pulling the nonprofit card and reciting their mission. And so basically to say the morale of the company was incredibly low is an understatement. Everyone felt incredibly overwhelmed and overworked. Every single person on the team was given like a task load of 40 plus hours per week. And all of us had from eight to 15 hours per week to complete all of these things. Multiple people on the team kept actually speaking up and saying, hey, we need to prioritize. We also need to reduce the scope of the work that we're doing. Like we cannot be the organization that's doing everything. We need to reel it in, be a bit more niche. From Emily's point of view, it was always, always quantity over quantity. And so we would like during team calls, if people would suggest things or say like, hey, we really need to reel it in and like reduce the amount of initiatives that we are trying to do that was never received well or accepted. It was always met with like a, yeah, we're not doing that. There were several times where I had tried to privately on one-on-one calls, just address the the working environment um, and kind of the relationships that we all had. And Emily ended up suggesting for us to do a team day. It would basically be the place for everyone to express their concerns and also work through how we were going to get to the other side of like, okay, if this is your concern, how can we have a a healthier, better version of whatever this is? And so she asked me to be in charge of all the coordinating. We started planning everything. I booked the the room that we were going to be meeting in. One of our planning calls, uh, it was myself, Emily, and two of our coworkers who only worked about five hours a week. Uh, one of which did it on a pro bono basis. Neither of them were like totally in on what was going on behind the scenes. And it's also important to mention like both of them are very senior in their careers. Um, And prior to that call, Emily decided that we were not going to do the team day anymore. So she had messaged me saying we weren't going to do it anymore. And she asked me to let everyone know and also to like cancel the the room and all the stuff that I had booked. And instead, we were going to be doing an all-day brainstorming session for the 10-year plan of the organization. She said she would invite three outside strategists and an outside funding guy. Yeah, I was absolutely shocked by the fact that she wanted to cancel the team day and then now do something where she's bringing in outside strategists. 
So in this call, I like pushed back and I was like, I do not think this is the right decision. Like, I think we really need to prioritize the current health of the organization before we involve any third party strategist. Like we are not there yet. And she told me that like, I had no idea how organizations were ran and I just needed to like follow along with it. And so I pushed back again and I was like, every single person on this team is incredibly overwhelmed and experiencing like serious negative mental health things because of the the working environment. And also like our environment is just not conducive for creativity or building sustainable futures for ourselves or the organizations. And she told me I was being completely inappropriate and pretty much went off on me. And one of the coworkers who is working pro bono, she stopped Emily and was like, look, I actually think it's so brave of Sarah to speak up. Uh, and these concerns are like very serious and they should be taken seriously. Uh, and that was the first time that someone had stood up for me. So I was really appreciative in that moment. And Emily backed down and she was like, okay, yeah, like it is important and we'll discuss it during that day. The night before the session, we all went to a big dinner at a very expensive place. Uh, and so she pulled me aside at the dinner and was just like, hey, tomorrow is not going to be the setting for you to bring up anything related to like the current health of the situation, whether it's like financially or organiz organizationally or whatever. Uh, and I was just like so taken aback and we're at like a group dinner with like 15 people. And so I just like turned to someone else and started another conversation because I was like, yeah, this is not the time for this to happen. The day of the session arrives uh, and that morning before I left work, I told my boyfriend, I was like, look, if this entire day goes by without like any of us talking about the toxic environment that's happening, like that's it, I'm out. Like I can't do this anymore. But I went into the session still like, I have hope. We're turning a corner, this is it. And I felt that way the whole six months, honestly, like where I was just like, okay. Cause there would be these little glimmers of like her wanting to change a bit or like Emily making a positive comment. There was all these little glimmers of hope where I'm like, okay, this is it. Like we're, we're turning around. Uh, and so I went into it that day really expecting that. Basically, the session was just like full of pontificating, mostly like Emily just pontificating things. Uh, and I felt really bad for these outside strategists, which they all came on a pro bono basis, which I'm guessing Emily like finagled somehow. So they all came on a pro bono basis uh, and they had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. Uh, so we spent seven hours creating a 10-year plan for the organization. And anytime someone brought up money of like, okay, well, how do we hire this person? Like that type of person is going to be very expensive. It was just like, whatever, we'll figure it out when we get there. And after the three strategists left that day, I told Emily and the rest of the, the couple people of our actual team that were there that I was just like so confused and disappointed and that we like once did not talk about the the health of the the people actually working at the organization. And she immediately snapped and was just like, absolutely not. That is inappropriate. This is not the time. Uh, and so basically I told her, I was like, look, we just spent the entire day like putting up the walls of a house and there's like no foundation of this house. Uh, and the reality is that if we continue the way that we're going, there will not be an organization in 10 years. What were we doing today? We make plans and a week later we change them. So why we were getting together to make a 10-year plan just felt absolutely unnecessary. Without taking care of your people, they're not going to stick around. People were quitting after one, two, three months. I guess for her, she'll always find new people, but that also has to be so exhausting. Like nothing is ever really going to get done. You're just going to kind of stand still and progress inch by inch. 
The 10-year plan brainstorming session was just a giant band-aid to boost company morale. It's a temporary fix to keep the house of cards from falling. If Emily was serious about fixing issues and changing the structure, she would listen to her people and take the suggested actions. The problem is she doesn't trust or value what her employees have to say. She thinks she has all the answers and she's not able to acknowledge that she's failing as a leader. Like Sarah said, bringing in outside strategists solves nothing if the foundation is broken. Luckily for Sarah, this was the eye-opening incident that helped her to see things for what they were. The organization was under broken and unfixable leadership. Okay, so after that meeting, it was obviously very apparent to me that things were not going to change. Uh, so the this happened on a Thursday, and the, the next day, uh, I had a one-on-one call with Emily, and I basically emailed her just saying I was, like, really disappointed in the way that the day had gone, um, and I just needed some time to consider my role. Uh, she responded saying, yeah, no, I expect to speak with you, so I'll see you then. And then, like, eight minutes later, sent another email just basically saying that she doesn't have time to make my disappointments her main objective of what she's going to do. Basically, again, turned everything back on me. So I emailed her back and I was like, I will show up on all of our client meetings today because I can still do that, but I'm not going to show up on our one-on-one call. Uh, And she messaged back like, no, you're done for the day. Like, don't show up for anything. Uh, So on Monday, I I quit my job and I put in a two months notice and I was like, look, I'm happy to like stick around to help someone transition. I'm happy to transition all the clients to someone else, train someone else, like whatever you need for me to do to make this smooth for you. I'm willing to do that. And she told me that today would be my last day, which I assumed she was going to do. And so the day I quit, I already had a call with Rosemary, the director. Basically, she was probably going to take over my role until they found someone else. So I just helped her. I basically sent all the documents that I had. I sent all my spreadsheets with all the people I was talking to. I walked her through our CRM, gave all of that, let her know, obviously, that I quit. And that same day, I'd also spoke with the manager of the co-working space that we worked at uh, because I established a really good relationship with her. And I just told her how much I appreciated the work that she was doing and that I wouldn't be around anymore. Uh, And so the next day, I received like six missed calls in a row from Emily and an email being like, it's urgent. You need to call me immediately. And so when I called her back, she was just like, how dare you try to tear me down? Um, I couldn't believe you would behave this way and try to destroy another woman's career. And I was just like, what, like, what is going on? And she was like, you told Rosemary that you quit. And also the manager of the co-working space. And I was like, I just told them I was leaving. Those are literally the only two people that I spoke with other than my partner about me leaving my job. And she was like, oh, I just thought you were like going through all of our client list and calling everyone and telling them that you had left. And I was like, that is just, it's not my character. It's not my personality. She said to me multiple times in text and on a a video call, please do not speak badly about me or the organization. If you have anything to say, you need to call me directly. And for me, if you're behaving and fostering a supportive environment, like you would never need to say that to someone. Um, And I obviously was aware that that was going to be my last day. So I sent my invoices and she always asked me to split my invoices between the two companies that she had, even though I worked for the nonprofit. 
And she came back saying that I was lying and that I never got approval on the additional hours and that she wasn't going to pay me and that she didn't know what I was thinking, sending an invoice to two separate. Uh, she was just like, how can you think that you can bill my other business just because you feel like you need money? Like you didn't have approval for any of that stuff. And all of the previous months, I always billed 50-50 to both organizations and I have like proof of that. So, and also the very unfortunate thing is my email was deactivated. So all the written proof that I had of her approving my additional hours was gone. Basically after that, uh, we had multiple email exchanges basically of me just explaining like I was approved on all of those additional hours um, after a couple times of her saying, no, she wouldn't do it. And I needed to adjust all my invoices. I told her that I was going to reach out to an employee rights organization in Amsterdam and just see what my rights were. And she was just like, wow, you know how to burn a bridge. Like, I can't believe I ever trusted hiring you. Don't ever contact me again. And then throughout the next, after she asked me not to contact her again, which I didn't, because I was just like, the invoices stand, like you need to pay them. And over the next couple months, she sent me multiple emails, one of which was titled, I just have to read you the title because it's just so crazy that I can't even believe the subject of the email says advice on moving on versus trying to take someone down. And basically sent me like paragraphs and paragraphs on how I am like super nasty all these really horrible things, honestly, but they're written from a very PR perspective. So like, if you read it, you're kind of like, oh, like it turns around on me. She said, hi, Sarah, it's come to my attention. You're talking negatively about me again already. I can't tell you how much energy this and you have cost me, but I do want to do just a little recap for you because your sour feelings are really misplaced and it would do us both a favor if you just found a way to process and move on. And then she gave me some context that she's running a small business and having a hard time. She is definitely the victim. And when she talks about me, she says, I saw great potential in you. So I worked to explore what your skill set was um, and I continued to make it work. Uh, yeah, I have no idea at what point you decided I was not respecting you. That was never a reality for me. My experience in whatever kindness and warmth that led us to working with you has a completely opposite side, and I find it completely terrifying and mean-spirited. Please do us a favor and find a way to make peace with my imperfect leadership and just move on. From all of us at this organization, please just let it be. And that's how she signed off the email. For me, that email was like so eye-opening where I'm like, all of the things I felt she is now sending back to me, it was so much projection. I had not spoken bad about her one time. I did have a couple conversations where people asked me questions and I did tell the truth and I shared my experience, but I never gossiped. And I did that very purposely because I knew she would accuse me of doing it. And truly, when I read that email, I was like, I haven't. Like, I, I know in my heart that I haven't. And like, I felt so proud of myself. For me, yeah, I still haven't been paid. I still haven't found another job, but like I feel a lot healthier and I feel like I can finally talk about it with anxiety. So it's it was so hard to take the high road, but I'm so glad that I did. And I never popped off once in an email. I never said like anything that wasn't factual or like I was firm in some things, but it was like speaking my truth and just being very calm and professional. And yeah, I think it's it's so hard to do, but I think now looking back at it, I don't regret anything. And I feel very good about the way that I handled it. And I think that's, there's something to be said for that because I have peace. And at the end of the day, that's like what I really 
wanted and needed from the parting of this experience. It's been over four months since Sarah left this organization, and she still hasn't been paid by Emily. Sarah emphasized how hard it was to not feed into Emily's triggering emails. Sarah knew she gave her very best during her time working for Emily. Sarah is genuine and authentic in her words and actions. So Emily's self-projecting claims that Sarah was the issue didn't phase what she knew to be the truth. Toxic, narcissistic people will paint a false narrative to save their own reputation. The best thing you can do is ignore it and move on. As challenging as that was, Sarah was able to do just that. I also really felt so negative throughout this experience. And I was even told by Emily, like, you're incredibly negative. You're not a team player. And I had to really take a step back and just be like, this is toxic. It is negative. And I can also see the positive in all the things that we're doing and some of the the conversations I'm having. But those things can simultaneously exist. And I do think it is important to use the word toxic because the gaslighting and manipulation does not always look toxic. If someone walks into an office and is like, fuck you, your work sucks, blah, 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 like that's toxic. But when you just have these little digs every week, it's just not super apparent. I think it's so important to name it and also just show like all the varying shades of what a toxic work environment can look like. I was having like serious mental health issues at the end of all of this. And I was having like palpable anxiety the entire time. And I would come home from work and just cry on the couch. Uh, and my partner would like make me dinner. He's incredible. Um, and when I quit, we already had a trip planned to the States to go visit my family. And we were staying for two months. Um, in the first three weeks, I literally did nothing but sleep. Like I did not leave the house at all. And I, I'm super active. I love to be outside. I love to swim, like, especially when I'm back in Texas. And for the first three weeks, like genuinely, I just slept, I think like 12 hours a night. And then I would take naps throughout the day. And it was really my body just like trying to come back to itself because I had just really overdone it for for six months like I had let it go go on way too far I don't regret this process it's taught me so much about myself and sticking up for myself and also like from the very beginning I had very clear physical signs in my body that this was not the right place for me but I was super excited and I think in the future I'll definitely listen to those things now looking back at it I don't regret anything and I feel very good about the way that I handled it There's something to be said for that because I have peace. And at the end of the day, that's like what I really wanted and needed from the parting of this experience. Sometimes we have to be faced with challenging situations that make us question who we are and what we stand for in order to truly find ourselves. It's one of those life lessons that push you to your breaking point only for you to bounce back stronger than ever. Sarah faced a challenging situation, and within that challenge, she found her courage and realized her value. I guess you could say, in a backwards and twisted way, Emily did empower Sarah by being the antagonist. Next time on Toxic Workplace. Every day felt like there was a new conflict. There was a new situation I needed to fix not only the kids, but with 
the coworkers. Like there was some situation that I needed to fix and I always felt like I needed to go in prepared and ready. And I just was physically sick. I remember I took like all of my sick days really early on. And I think they knew that this job was stressing me out. Lucy would come up to me and say, are you doing okay? And I'm like, I cannot tell her the truth because obviously I know if I say, oh, I'm struggling, then she's going to want to take over everything. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have a story to share, please go to ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com and click on Be a Guest. Your story will be told anonymously. All names are changed to protect the employee and the company. And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.